catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best-kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome into GC Live Afternoon Drive. It is Thursday, November 16, 2023, in South Carolina. They're heading into a game where there's only two games to go in the regular season, but it's a meaningful game, right? I mean, a couple weeks ago, sitting here two and six, you know, some people probably would have assumed that they would have beat Vandy in Jacksonville State, but having seen some of the things we saw earlier in the season with this team, you couldn't make any assumptions and I mean, look, bottom line is this. You have two games to go. You win these two, you're heading to a bowl game. Now, I understand there's a possibility of being 5-7 and seven and going to the bowl game, but I'm not even going to think about that. Let's not even talk about that. You win these two games, you're going to a bowl game. And while it might not be the most glamorous of bowls, you have the ability to get these younger players some extra practices. You're Lenore Sellers of the world. Even a Dante Reno, who's going to be enrolling in early. And with a quarterback room that's going to be young. Luke Doty, yes, he has experience, but does he decide to play wide receiver next year? I mean, these are things that we're going to have plenty of time to talk about in the offseason, but the point being is not just that quarterback room, but a lot of positions. A lot of positions are going to have a lot of young players have an opportunity to get extra practices, but in order to do that, you have to win this weekend. You have to beat Kentucky, and then we'll worry about Clemson next week. We've got a special guest today on the show. SEC Network's Alyssa Lang, a USC alum, also an alum of Gamecock Central. She'll be joining us around that 2.30 mark to talk about this weekend's game for South Carolina and probably just big picture, too. Questions about the Gamecocks, as we alluded to with them having to win these next two games, and just any thoughts she might have on the program as Shane Beamer wraps up year three of his tenure here with the Gamecocks. Now, if you guys have any questions for Alyssa, you have any questions for me, fire away in the comments section, whether you're listening on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, fire away, and we'll pop those questions and comments up. Justin, good to have you on. Says, go Cox, see y'all Saturday. Night game. Haven't been able to say that for a while, huh? A night game at Williams-Brice. Felt like that was pretty much every game in town for a while. But now, no more noon games, at least to wrap up the end of the 2023 regular season as the Gamecocks will play at night this weekend, 7.30 against Kentucky, and they'll play a night game next weekend against Clemson. Gamecock Ryan says, what's up, y'all? My guy Joe Pollock, taking my daughter Saturday night, should be fun. And Joe knows this already. I'll make him blush a little bit. But for some of you that don't know, Joe played a big role in helping the Yuva become a thing so shout out to joe great guy big supporter of the gamecocks not just football see him at plenty basketball games as well takes his daughters out there speaking about basketball gamecock women's basketball has a game tonight against clemson last i checked they are 32 and a half point favorites 
against the Tigers tonight. Don Staley and crew landing a big commitment yesterday. Men's team did too. Lamont Paris. So big day for basketball tonight as the women's team, who are number one ranked in the country, didn't take them long to be able to move up to that spot after being ranked six to start the year. They'll be taking on the Tigers. Chad, we do this every week, but you know, you may have missed it. Yes, 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 yes. Mario Anderson has an extra year of eligibility. So, yes, to answer your question. And then, Jamie, I'm going to save this, Jamie, for later when Alyssa comes on because I was teasing her about this earlier in the week. Is Lang doing the game on Saturday? She is not doing the game on Saturday, but we will save this. We'll bookmark this, and I'm going to bring it up with her because I feel like she has some thoughts. She needs to she needs to clear the air on that because for those of you that are listening on the podcast platform, once this gets uploaded later, Alyssa wasn't even doing the game last week, and she's catching strays out here. She's catching strays. And they put up this graphic, and I think actually it's ironic. Joe, I think you actually put it up there, Joe Pollock, saying, uh, sharing the graphic from the from the game, and it said that Alyssa and the crew that she's been doing the games with, they're 0-6 the last six times they've done a USC game. So I'm sure Alyssa has some thoughts on that. We'll bring her in in just a little bit. No worries, Chad. You're not the only one that's going to be asking that. But I'm going to continue just to remind people because, I mean, it's huge. It is massive. It is massive. That's a good question, Justin. I'll have to, and I don't know if, I think it's just South Carolina games in general. So there could be some away games as well in there. She'll know more about that number because I'm sure she's been hearing a lot of crap from her coworkers about that. So she'll have a better idea because I was back in Boston for that one. Um, But I can't remember if she was on the call. May have been a different girl who ironically is actually the Patriots reporter that was doing that game for the SEC network. Tamira, I'm not 100% sure. We'll find out, though, when Alyssa hops on in just a little bit. As we do every week, though, as we do every week to begin the show, because, again, Alyssa won't be hopping on until another, you know, 15 minutes or so. She's actually in a production meeting getting ready for this weekend, the game that she has. But when I look at the keys this week, and we talk about quick slants, we do the weekly keys. There's some things in here that I really started to get into the nitty gritty. And the reason why I say I say that is because when you look at a matchup like this and you look at some of the things that have happened to South Carolina over the last couple of weeks, injuries, especially in that running back room, there's certain things that they need to do that shouldn't be overlooked or it should be overlooked. But on top of that, you shouldn't take it for granted. So the first key for me this week. And again, you can see the full story on Gamecock Central for our subscribers. If you're not a subscriber, sign up today. Take advantage of the $1 special that we have during game weeks for the first month. But number one to me, the number one key, and you can have 1A, 1B, but one one key that stands out to me this week is pass protection from the running backs. Mario Anderson has been the starter going back to the Mississippi State game. But Because of the recent injury to Juju McDowell, broken collarbone, he's done for the year. On top of the fact that, at least as of right now, Juju um, on Joyner is doubtful. Shane Beamer will be speaking tonight, 6 o'clock, Backstreet Grill. 
can listen to that on 107.5 The Game. Sometimes he gives a little bit of an update on some of these injuries, but I don't think it's trending in the right direction for Joyner to see the field this weekend. So with those two guys out of the lineup, you would expect you would expect a guy like DJ Braswell, the true freshman from Georgia, you would expect to see him get some extra snaps this weekend. You would expect perhaps to see a guy like Bradley Dunn or Twitty get in there as well. I bring that up, though, because while Mario has proven that his pass protection has got better and he's your best pass blocker when it comes to pass protection at the running back spot, how are the other guys going to do? How are the other guys going to do? Because for Braswell, he hasn't he hasn't had the same amount of opportunities in games. Twitty, done. I bring this up because against Kentucky, while we're going to be talking about production, right, looking for production out of that running back room, it's not as just saying, okay, how many yards rushing do they get this week? And how many yards rushing does Mario Anderson get? And if you enjoy seeing Mario Anderson run the football, other guys are going to have to do what they need to in order to allow Mario to get some more touches on the ground. Because if Mario's having to do essentially double duties back there, which I still think he's going to see an increase in his snaps in comparison to last week. He was out there for 30 of the 61 snaps that South Carolina had as an offense. But if the pass protection is not where it needs to be from the other running backs, then Mario's going to be asked to do more from a blocking standpoint. And naturally, if that is the case, they're not going to kill him by having him do so much as a pass protector and then have him run the football, whatever it may be, 15-plus times, 20-plus times. And certainly some of that has to do with how successful USC is through the air. I mean, last week, South Carolina was throwing the ball all over the field. But at the same time, too, when they wanted, and we talked about this on Tuesday, we talked about this after the game, on the GCLI postgame show, when they wanted to run the football outside of a 70-plus yard run from Anderson late in the game, USC really struggled. And that's not a Mario thing. It's a team thing. It's a blocking. It, it starts with blocking. It also goes back to your running backs. You need to be able to get everyone on the same page to do what you need to do in those situations. So certainly USC needs to make sure that when they want to run the football, they're having success in the run game. And when I think about that, I'm talking about if they're trying to run the football on first first down, if they're in short yarded situations and you need to be able to get those two, three, even sometimes four yards that you're picking them up. Because if not, if not, then this could be this could be this could be a tough one for them. Because Kentucky, from a defensive standpoint, certainly they're not the you know, 86 bears out here, but at the same time too, the defensive competition, it's, it's, it's going to increase this week. It's not Vanderbilt. It's not Jacksonville state. Yes. They're a team that has really struggled the last couple of weeks, but at the same time too. And I said this on Tuesday, they remind me a lot of where Florida was in the sense of when Florida was coming into the stadium in the sense of, you don't know which team's going to show up. The competition that Kentucky's played over the last couple of weeks, it's not like they've been playing a bunch of scrubs. They've been playing some really good teams, really good teams. So, yes, while they are one in four in their last five games, their losses include losses to Alabama, Tennessee, Missouri, 
in Georgia. Missouri wasn't ranked when they played Kentucky. Tennessee, they moved up to 18 now. But all those teams right there that I mentioned, they're all ranked. Their only win in that span was against Mississippi State. And we know what Mississippi State has gone through, not just the coaching change that's going to be coming up now, but everything that's transpired over the last year, last 11 months, with the tragic passing of Mike Leach. So that program, Mississippi State, I mean, that's – and I'm not trying to discredit Kentucky's win against them, but the point being is you look at the competition they've gone up against – They've gone up against some pretty good teams these last couple of weeks. So which team is going to come in here? Is it, is, it, is it going to be a team that is at a point now where they kind of feel sorry for themselves and they're just going through the motions? Because we've seen that happen plenty of times. I would argue that happened a little bit last week against Vanderbilt, that you get to the end of the year and you have teams that are ready just to throw the towel in. And that's not to take anything away from what South Carolina did last week. But we've seen that. We've seen that happen with South Carolina in years past. So that's why, again, from a pass pro standpoint, if South Carolina is able to get some production from guys, like I mentioned, Twitty, Dunn, certainly DJ Braswell, because I think if you look at that running back room behind Mario Anderson, I expect him to be the guy that that's getting the touches. That's not just getting the touches, but he's the one that's out there seeing more action. Number two. And I found an interesting stat today about this one. So I mentioned force at least two takeaways. Honestly, just force one takeaway. Force one takeaway away. Because as good as South Carolina has been over the last couple of weeks, forcing six turnovers in the last two games after only forcing seven through the first eight, how about this stat that I came across today? In South Carolina's last nine games when they have forced at least one turnover, forced at least one turnover, excuse me, the last two years, they are 9-0. The last two years at home, when South Carolina forces at least one turnover, they are 9-0. When they don't, they don't force any. They're 0-3 in that time, in that t- same time span. So the key this week, and to me, I said force two takeaways. The last two years, though, if Vegas just get at least one at home, they've done really good things from a record standpoint. I think you need at least one this weekend. And I'm not just saying that from a statistical standpoint, that number I just threw at you. I think they need two. But it's not just what it's done for them from a defensive standpoint these last two weeks. It's how it's helped the offense. You know, I mentioned this last week, but now we can add to it. But including Stone Blanton's pick six, five of South Carolina's six takeaways over the past two games have resulted in points on USC's ensuing offensive drives. The lone one that didn't, was after O.D. Fortune had an interception against Jacksonville State. That led to two kneel downs. So the point being is, again, you get an, you, you get an interception, you get a fumble, whatever, the, whatever it takes this weekend. When USC gets at least one takeaway over the last two years at home, they have not lost the game. They have not lost the game. But on top of that, what I'm telling you, based on what we've seen the last two weeks, the offense has done something with the ball immediately right after immediately right after. And when you go back and you look at some of these games over the last couple weeks for South Carolina during that turnover drought, right? I mean, you look at the Florida game, 
you look at some of these games where South Carolina, they had opportunities to win it. They had opportunities to win it. I would even say even during that Texas A&M game before things started to go in in another direction. Missouri, they really struggled to finish offensively. But what I'm trying to get at is when you look at some of those games and not being able to turn the ball over for what was a 15-quarter drought going back to the second quarter against Tennessee on September 30th before you get your first takeaway against Jacksonville State in that, you know, into that drought, that that turnover difference could have been the difference with South Carolina winning some of these other games that they were losing. And I'm not saying that USC would have beat Tennessee. I'm not saying they would have beat Missouri or they would have even beat AM, but they would have been in a better situation. Would have been in a better situation. I certainly feel like they would have beat Florida. I certainly feel like they would have beat Florida, but hey, it's in the past now. Bottom line, though, force a takeaway this weekend. Good things have happened when you've been able to do that. And number three, number three, from an offensive standpoint, convert on third downs. Now, why did I choose this stat? Well, Kentucky's really struggled defensively to get off the field on third downs this season. They're actually the 24th worst defense in FBS when it comes to stopping offenses on third downs. But on top of that, kind of like what USC has been dealing with in certain areas, they're, they're really banged up in the secondary. They're banged up on defense right now. And when I think about a banged up defense, especially in the secondary, and you have younger players out there, I think I believe the safety has led them in tackles the last two weeks combined or, or something to the effect of that. It tells me, hey, if you can go out there and you can stay on the field and, and sustain drives and be able to continue to pick up conversions, that inexperience, especially when you have a very experienced quarterback in Spencer Rattler on the other side, you can take advantage of some of the issues that could be facing Kentucky this weekend, not allowing them to get off the field, not allowing them to have an opportunity to talk to their positional coach or talk with their defensive coordinator or talk with some of the other guys in a, in a area where things are much slower and you can kind of just talk on the sideline. Hey, what did you see? Okay. Because everything's happening in real time. The bullets are live. So to me, sustaining drives this weekend if USC is able to go out there, we've seen it before, right? Xavier Leggett over the top, goes deep, right? 60, 70-yard touchdown. Good night, Irene. I get that. And hopefully that will happen a couple times this weekend. But when you are in third-down situations as an offense, third and two, and even a little bit further back, I mean, certainly short yardage, and we've talked about this before on Tuesday. Now that you're in a territory where Lenora Sellers can play these next two games without having to worry about burning a year of eligibility, because he's only appeared in two games and you don't have to carry on joiner to help you in those short yardage situations, especially inside the 10, inside the five yard line from a goal line standpoint. Yes, you have Mario Anderson out there, but I wouldn't be shocked to see them use sellers a little bit more in those short yardage situations, the short yardage situations that I know a good portion of this fan base wanted to see him used in earlier in the year. I was against that just because I felt like when you look at the bigger picture, of where this program is headed and what he can bring you with just having an extra year under his belt because the people that are like, oh, you know, he's not going to be here for you. Relax, relax. He hasn't started a game yet. 
And he hasn't gone up against a first-team defense in a game yet. I still think he's going to be a very talented player, but it's like, relax, okay? Relax. Well, here we are. Two games to go now in the regular season. He has four years still ahead of him after this season if he chooses to. And now you have the ability to throw him out there in a situation where USC can certainly, certainly use the extra body because of how banged up they are in that running back room. That's not saying Mike saying put sellers at running back. No, no, no. Quite the opposite. Dal Loggins even mentioned it yesterday. Has there been any talk about putting any non-running backs in the running back room? And that's not to say Dal's not showing some type of gamesmanship by not showing his full hand, but I don't think he's lying when he says that. I think we could see situations where you have Lenoris back in a shotgun situation. He's doing some type of RPO or could just be as simple as just doing a read option or QB power. But I think you take advantage of having him back there, especially after what he's proven when he touches the football. So, and I know this isn't a real stat, but bear with me here. Lenoris has thrown the football four times in the two games that he's appeared in. In addition to that, he's rushed the ball three times. Now, obviously, there's been times where he hands off the ball, so I'm not including those when I'm talking about this number. The seven times that Lenoris has touched the football this season, seven times, right? Three rushes, four touchdown passes, uh, four passes. Two of them have been touchdown passes. One of them has been a rushing touchdown. So he has scored or been responsible for three touchdowns on the seven plays that he has touched the ball where he has either, again, run himself or he's thrown the football. And obviously, if he's in there going up against a first-team defense, makes it a little bit trickier, right? He's not going up against Vandy. He's not going up against Furman. However, just like Dal said, and we've seen it, we've seen it, right? We've all seen it. When he's on the field, good things happen. Good things happen. So, again, do what you need to do to extend these drives. Do what you need to do because if you're able to do that, I think it's only going to be able to help Rattler in this offense be able to take some more shots down the field because you have inexperienced defensive backs. You have inexperience in some of these spots on defense just because of the injuries that have piled up so far for Kentucky. Again, if you're just joining us, Alyssa Lang of the SEC Network will be joining us shortly. She's wrapping up a meeting with the SEC Network, getting ready for this weekend of college football. Crazy to think. That after this week, and we only have one more week of the regular season. And for the Gamecocks, certainly, as we've been talking about for the last couple weeks, they've needed to win out, right? You win the first two, that's great. Need to do it again this weekend. If they're able to do it again, that makes next week's game, which, as we all know, is already a big game. Already a big game. However, it makes it that much bigger if they're able to win this week, and no question about it. Let's go back and look at some of the comments that some of you guys have. Questions? Chad says, which quarterback transfers with Reno coming in and Sellers more than likely the starter? We'll get into that more, Chad, in the offseason. And the reason I say that is, is because I think certainly, and I've brought this up before, I think USC is certainly going to have to go into the portal to bring a quarterback in. And I think the challenging part is, you're going to bring someone in that's not saying, hey, I want to be a backup at South Carolina. I mean, this isn't Alabama. This isn't Georgia. I'm just being realistic here. No one says, man, I want to be a backup at South Carolina. 
you go to a school like Georgia, Alabama, it's, it's a little different. It's a little different. You can get some really talented guys that way. So I bring that up because, I mean, shoot, there's a possibility. I know that Colton Gothier is going to be graduating. If he wants to come back, he has that option. Tanner Bailey's still in the room. Does Tanner Bailey want to go elsewhere because of sellers and Reno coming in? So, again, we'll talk more about this in the offseason, but I do think that USC is going to have to bring in someone from the portal because if not, you're going to have a very inexperienced quarterback room. And while it's not the same you know, as apples to apples, you look at what's going on in the NFL with the Cleveland Browns. Sean Watson goes down, and now they're kind of playing, oh, crap, what do we do? We don't have experience in that quarterback room. And that's no disrespect to P.J. Walker, the former former Temple Owl. But that's what South Carolina is going to be faced with the challenge this offseason, is being able to fix that quarterback room a little bit because Spencer Rattler has been not just a talent for you, but he's been an, uh, an experienced talent for you. And you're going to be losing that. And it goes without saying, too, Luke Doty will be back. We are expecting Luke to be back. Does he decide to take an opportunity to compete for the starting job? Or does he decide to go stay in the wide receiver room? I've heard I've heard different things from talking to people close to the program. Luke has certainly earned the opportunity to compete for the starting job, no question about it, because of everything that he's been asked to do. He's played musical chairs going from one room to another. But you get a sense from, again, talking with people that he is really he's really taken a liking to playing the playing the wide receiver position, and he's done a lot of good things. But again, we'll we'll talk more about this in the off season. Craig says, "Yo, yo, Craig, what's going on?" Chad again says, "What are your thoughts on the Gamecocks landing running back Daniel Hill? I've mentioned this before. I don't do RPM. I don't do crystal balls. I don't, you know, that's a, that's a little bit above me. But I said this maybe two weeks ago, that if I had a crystal ball or an RPM vote or whatever the hell, whatever, however it works for us and on three, I don't get exactly if they put a percent on it, but I would have it leaning towards South Carolina based on some of the things I've been told. We understand that Hill's dad wants him to stay close to Alabama. Excuse me, go to Alabama or stay close within the area of Mississippi. But again, I still think that South Carolina is in a better spot than a lot of people out there believe, despite what other recruiting insiders who have been doing this a hell of a lot longer than I have. Again, I, I can only go based off of some of the things I've been told and some of the things I've seen whether that be text messages, whether that be pictures. I'm just telling you what I've been told, but we'll see. We'll certainly see, Chad. Uh, Cocky Joe says, I would put Miriam Brown in the backfield for a couple specific packages with his speed. I don't think that will happen. I hear you, Cocky Joe. I don't think that will happen. I think if anything, with a guy like AB, with a guy like Nicholas Harbor, and we've seen this, in the past with USC, even before these injuries took place. And even going back to last year, we've seen in the NFL, we see other teams do it. We have the motion and it's just a, a little flick pass, right? It's a little flick pass from the quarterback to the wide receiver coming in motion. And that's essentially a handoff. 
I mean, in the books, it will go down as a completion. But I can see someone like AB being used for something like that. WJM41 says, Twitty, please. Well, Twitty did have a good spring game. Twitty did have a good spring game. And I think when you look at that running back room, again, Braswell, he has speed. We saw that last week. He plays in this game. The red shirt is bye-bye. But I think at this point, and kind of asking Beamer about it on Tuesday, how do you make those decisions, right? I mean, you're in a situation now where you're trying to still stay alive for bowl eligibility. But at the same time, too, you're in a spot where you have some players like Braswell who haven't who who still can redshirt, but at the same time, too, you need him right now. You need him badly. And that's just an example. So I expect Braswell to not only play this week, and I expect him to play, I think he had 15 snaps last week. I wouldn't be shocked to see him play close to 20. I do think Mario Anderson's snaps will go up. Kentucky doesn't run that many plays certainly not in comparison to what we saw against jacksonville state but usc ran 61 plays last week and as i mentioned before mario anderson played 20 of them i think this weekend mario will have to play a little bit more and i think if we do see if we do see more braswell if we do see more twitty and dunn I think some of that has to do with the fact that they feel good about how they're blocking, as I mentioned, is one of the keys this week from a pass pro standpoint. You need to make sure you're running backs. Obviously, we know what to expect from Mario Anderson because we've seen it going back to the Mississippi State game, but you need running backs to do a good job in pass pro this weekend. No question about it. No question about it. Uh, Again, if you're just joining us, Alyssa Lang of the SEC Network will be joining us shortly. We'll get Alyssa's thoughts on this weekend's game for the Gamecocks, as well as her just overall thoughts on where this team is and anything else in between. So if you guys have any questions for Alyssa, fire away. Let us know. and We'll ask Alyssa those questions when she joins us. Uh, Again, folks, though, if if you haven't been tuning in for the post-game show after these games, please join us this weekend. We have a former Gamecock that hops on with us each week. We've been having Michael Skarnekia, former QB. We've also been having Garrett Anderson, former Gamecock offensive lineman, joining us in these post-game shows. And speaking of Alyssa Lang, how you doing, Alyssa? What's up, Mike? How's it going? I'm doing well. I'm doing better that the Gamecocks are winning. It's a more peaceful Gamecock Twitter slash X and the message Me boards. Too. I mean, I wouldn't say it's all kumbaya right now, but things are a little bit better when they're winning. But you understand how that goes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my Twitter definitely calms down, I think, when South Carolina's winning. Certainly lately when they've been winning and I've not been there and the broadcast crew is calling me out for that. So I can appreciate a good South Carolina win these days as well. <laughs> so I got to bring that up. It's funny because Joe Pollock, I know you know Joe. Joe actually was the one that screenshotted that. He was actually listening to the show a little bit earlier. Not sure if Joe's still in here. I know he's going to the game tonight, women's basketball. Big game against Clemson. But then Jamie's asking, is Lang doing our game on Saturday? There was a stat on TV the last six games. So 
I gotta, I gotta ask you this, okay? One, you weren't even doing the game this past week, and you're out here catching strays. Yeah. So, wh- when Joe tweeted that, was that the first to your knowledge of that, or has this been something that your coworkers have been giving you some some crap about over the last couple of weeks? So I'm going to peel it back a little bit for those who don't keep up with the broadcast crew assignments, which is most people, right? Like I'm not saying anybody should. We're the only ones who really do. And to kind of correct that stat there. So the guys who are calling the Vanderbilt game, Taylor Zarzer and Matt Stinchcomb, they're my typical crew. So we get assigned our TV crews at the very beginning of the season. And for the most part, you stay together throughout the course of the year. There had been some movement over the past few weeks, so I got moved up to the crew on SEC Network night, uh, prime crew with Tom Hart and Cole Kublik, so I wasn't with Taylor and Stinch this past weekend as they were calling the South Carolina Vandy game. Now, this became something we've kind of been joking with Coach Beamer about because seemingly when the three of us lately have done these games, they really haven't gone well. Now, I'll defend myself and say the sample size for us hasn't been great. Like, it's not like we've been calling cupcake games for South Carolina. We had Notre Dame last year, Florida this year, Missouri this year. Obviously, Missouri, a very talented team. Florida, I don't know. We're ready to talk about that game yet at this point. So I wasn't there. Like I said, the crew went back and I guess tallied probably alongside Steve Fink because usually our great SIDs help keep track of these broadcast stats uh, game to game. They went back and found that when the three of us do a South Carolina game together, South Carolina is 0-6 in the last six games that the three of us have called. Not me. The three of us have called, but Matt Stitchcomb had some fun with the graphic and the telestrator, and he circled my name as South Carolina was up 30 or whatever. It was like, huh, I'm not here today, and crossed it out. So as uh, many Gamecock fans saw, I took to Twitter just to remind everybody that the last game that I called without Stinch and Taylor was also a win, and that was the Thursday night game last year. So I um, not on the game this weekend. I will say that, uh, but this may not be the last time you see us on the sidelines. So hopefully there can be a little bit of reverse the curse at this point, because I don't know what's I don't know what's going on. I also would like to remind everyone we don't play in the game. So no, it's just it's I, just like it's just like if I put a tweet out in the middle of the game about how the defense is doing good or whatever the case may be instantly something bad happens and it's just like oh you know you jinx it yeah had nothing to do with the friggin' 280 pound guys running around out there it's the you know the schmuck with uh an etch-a-sketch beard up in the press box tweeting yep it's all me i will say yesterday uh we had spencer rattler on our show and when we were done with the interview uh i was kind of talking to him just kind of off camera and i said yeah you know we might see again this season even though Gamecock fans, I don't know if they even want me on the premises, which is really hurtful. And I don't know if Coach Beamer wants me either, because Coach Beamer's been taking jabs as well, of course. <laughs> you know, he'll have fun with it. And Spencer was like, you got to tune out the noise. Just tune out the noise. So I'm uh, I'm going to take those those good reminders from our quarterback moving forward. <laughs> well, this team, Alyssa, they've been doing a great job of tuning out the noise, certainly over the last two weeks. I know there's going to be people out there that will say, well, they should have beat Vandy. Well, they should have beat Jacksonville State. And I would respond back saying, yeah, they probably should have. But at the same time, too, with this team, because of the injuries, because of the inconsistencies at certain positions, nothing should be assumed with this team. Having said that, they won those two games. 
And now they're going into a Kentucky game where, and I've said this, and I don't know what your thoughts are. Kentucky, yes, they're one and four in their last five games. They've played some really good teams over that span. But what they remind me of a lot is, again, we're going to give people PTSD when I mention the Florida game. They remind me of when Florida was coming in to play South Carolina a couple weeks ago because just like with that Florida team, you don't know what you're going to get from this Kentucky team. Which Kentucky team is going to show up? Which Kentucky team do you expect to show up this weekend? Yeah, you you nailed it, and that's kind of been my uh, what's escaped me this week and talking about this game is having had a couple of Kentucky games this season as well. Uh, the offense is the thing for me that's been the most – up and down, especially when you look at <laughs> I'm reading the comments from our South Carolina fans. I love you guys. There's there's more love than hate, I promise. Um, when you look at this Kentucky passing attack, more importantly, that's been the thing that's been so up and down, right? You see the Tennessee game, and that was maybe Devin Leary's best game so far this season, even though it was a loss. You look at the numbers, you look at the lack of drops, more importantly. You know, this was a receiver room coming into the year that a lot of us looked at, and we thought they could be near the top of the SEC as far as Dane Key, Tavion Robinson, Berion Brown, and the talent that they were going to be bringing back to Lexington. It just never seemed to gel together, or when it did, it didn't really gel with consistency. Now, you run into the buzzsaw that is Alabama last week, and it's hard for anything to gel against a team like Alabama, which has truly put it together here in the month of November. So I'm with you. You know, if I see a Kentucky team that comes out of the gates with Devin Leary looking consistent, finding his receivers on target and on time, the receivers being where they're supposed to be and not dropping any of those footballs, I almost wonder if we get into the type of game we saw against Mississippi State back towards the beginning mm -hmm. of the season and seeing more of just a shootout. Because we know that one thing that is consistent about South Carolina is when Xavier Leggett is on the field with Spencer Rattler, typically those guys are hooking up for big type of yardage. Both defenses leave a little bit to be desired. So that's what it really comes down to for me is which Kentucky offense will show up and can the South Carolina defense throw some different fronts at this Kentucky offensive line to maybe throw guys off a little bit? Can you get after Devin Leary? Is Devin Leary fully healthy going into this game after the last few weeks of being beat up against Mississippi State and against Alabama? So consistency truly is key. I think it's huge for South Carolina in a game where – Kentucky's favored by what a point and a half that this is a home game under the yeah. lights of Williams Bryce. Yeah. Originally started as a pick em, and now it's moved up a little bit. That's where some of the money's going. No love for Darude. Darude's going to be here. Uh, he'll be in the building this weekend. I'm so jealous. I'm missing that. I know this. I mean, there was going to be concerts. I don't know if I should be saying the places, but at this point, screw it. Uh, he was supposed to do a concert, I believe at the cotton gin. And then that didn't happen. And then CB18 slash Breakers Live, and I'm probably going to get yelled at by Cox by 90 for sharing this now. They were trying to do it. Don't know how much he was asking for. So I don't know if it will happen somewhere else. Again, I'll probably get yelled at for sharing that, but oh well. I didn't hear anything. It's okay. Anyway, I'll <laughs> tell you this, though, and this will hopefully cheer up some of those people. This is a stat. I'll let you use this stat list. I found this stat out the other night. I've been waiting to use it defensively south carolina we know that they went through their little turnover drought defensively right at home though in the last two years when usc forces at least one takeaway they're nine and oh really when they don't they're zero and three i'm not surprised by that 
at all, actually, because you think back to some of those big time games, especially those swing games. That's usually what it's come down to, right? Or shifting that momentum, getting the home team back on your side. I mean, we t- we talk about that every single week with every matchup we do. I was on the call for Florida at LSU a week ago. I know. Oh, I thought you meant Florida, South Carolina. I was going to say Erlin. This might be the time to, you know, cover your ears. Yeah, you know, not, not that one. Not that one. But last week, and, and that was something that when you play in the SEC, whether it be the turnover battle, whether it be special teams, whether it be hitting big explosives, especially if you're the road team, going to a crazy environment like Kentucky will be this weekend. That's what you have to do. Certainly if you're the home team, if you do that, you take care of business because the crowd's going to be rocking and it's going to be unbelievable for opposing teams to try to communicate or do anything in your own house. So, I mean, I'm not surprised by that stat at all, but that's also an awesome stat. So I'm a little jealous that you dug that one up before I did. Yeah. Well, we, we talk about, the need for them to be able to force some turnovers and, and I get it. People have been frustrated with this defense at times this year. I get it. But from just talking to some of the coaches and some of the things you've seen this year, what is it do you think that's holding them back? I mean, I've mentioned just the execution part, but I don't think people like hearing that from me when I say that. So maybe if you say that, or you have anything else, maybe they'll say, Oh, Alyssa said, said this. Well, execution is always part of it, right? I mean, everybody who's a football fan can see the missed assignments, the missed tackles, not being in the right place at the right time. But I think for South Carolina and so many times this year, it's come down to a trickle-down effect in a way. It's come down to an issue with a lot of guys who are just plain old young and haven't been out there for very long. Guys who are getting their first real SEC reps in the fire, baptized by fire here in the SEC. And sometimes you're going to have a little bit of a drop-off there. I think, obviously, depth has become an issue, too, with some of the injuries that South Carolina, just as a team, has dealt with from the beginning of the season to now. But I I know coaches don't tend to look ahead or don't tend to, you know, talk about next year with several games left in the season. But I've been able to talk to other coaches just around the SEC who are sort of dealing with similar problems. And it's kind of like, man, I know it's bittersweet now and you're struggling now with maybe a true freshman safety who blew up an assignment and all of a sudden a quarterback's taken off 60 yards down the field as the ball carrier. Next year, those players are going to be so much better for it. I look at the guys who were true freshmen last year who are now starting veteran leaders on South Carolina's defense this year, and they will sit there and tell you that just having one year, even even six games in the SEC, understanding what that looks like, experiencing the bullets flying. Nicky Menwari was one of the ones who I got to talk to earlier this season, and he was like, it's unbelievable how much the game just slows down around you. When you're a freshman, it's like you are just struggling to keep up with what's happening around you. Where am I supposed to be? And not to mention actual game day. How about Sunday through Friday and figuring out what I need to do to prepare to make sure I'm taking care of my body, all the other things that go into longevity in the SEC. Mm -hmm. So having that experience under your belt moving forward makes such a difference in that sophomore season. And I think that's been a big part of what we've dealt with with South Carolina. Obviously, you know, recruiting never stops getting the Mm -hmm. best players possible on the roster, which is something that I think Shane Beamer and the staff have worked really, really hard to do. That's going to take time. You look at Georgia and it's a bunch of four and five stars and they play like four and five stars, right? And that's not to knock on anybody on the current roster. There's a lot of talent there. But when you mix the lack of depth with the youth in the SEC, that can be really challenging at times. 
I can't recall because obviously I was up in Boston last year. I'm trying to remember if it was you. Were you on the Tennessee call? Was that Tamara Brown? No, I don't. You don't have to know the specific person. I just know Tamara because ironically, she does the Patriots reporting. Yeah, that's right. I was just like, oh, shoot. I saw you in the locker room with the Patriots. Now you're down in South Carolina. But if you recall during that time period, I can't remember if you, I'm assuming you may have interviewed a player or two, maybe not, but just the buzz around South Carolina over those last two weeks last season, certainly it was incredible, right? But when they beat Tennessee, they were able to really open up a lot of people's eyes. I bring that up because certainly if they were able to beat Kentucky, Sorry, Shane, no disrespect. This game won't be as big in the eyes of many people in comparison to last year's Tennessee game. However, this win could do a lot because now you're looking at potentially being able to get back to 500 in the regular season, be bowl eligible, all that stuff. I bring all that up, though, Alyssa, because in the past, whether it be last year, whether it be in years past, when you've talked to other players, even during your days at Gamecock Central and WLTX and as a student, how do these players stay focused knowing that they have to win this week, knowing that the biggest game, the, the game that everyone talks about for 364 days of the year, right? That one game of the year is the following week, knowing that none of that, I wouldn't say none of it matters, but it can make next week's game even that much bigger if you're able to handle business this week. Well, I think, first of all, for South Carolina, that should be pretty easy, right? Knowing that it's not necessarily a look ahead to the biggest game on the schedule being Clemson next week. But if you don't win this week, you're not bowl eligible. You're not going to the postseason. You had to win every game in the month of November. So what better reason to have to lock in and make the main thing, the main thing. Right. And I don't want to, you know, give too much coach speak, but it does come back to coaching and it does come back to have you conditioned your guys all season long, going back to fall camp, going back to the summer to be able to take it one day at a time, one game at a time, one play at a time when things get down the stretch and you've got four minutes left on the clock down a touchdown and your defense needs to get one more stop and get the ball back to the offense. I mean, that is something that these guys talk about week in and week out. And that is a mental focus aspect of the game that a lot of times I think flies under the radar in a way you know we get so wrapped up in the longevity of the season and how many games left on the schedule are winnable games when these guys truly are locked in and saying it well it won't matter what what the Clemson game looks like if we lose to Kentucky because we want to go to the postseason and we want to be able to beat beat Clemson and punch a ticket to the postseason so all of that stuff matters you know going back to what you were saying about the end of last year um I obviously wasn't on the call for the Tennessee game last year or the Clemson game last year uh but I did have an opportunity to talk to Spencer in studio on I think our Tuesday show after the Tennessee game and that was a taped interview at the time you know we work around the the student athlete schedule so they're not on at eight o'clock at night when when we're live and I remember sitting there and after we were done, I said it was Clemson week. So I felt like I could say it at this point. And, and I, I think I can share this now. But we got done. I said, Spencer, thank you so much. You know, it's great to see you this year. Obviously, you know, you made us all super proud last week. I said, you know that it's been since I was in school that South Carolina beat, hasn't beaten Clemson since I was in school. And he started laughing. He was like, yeah, you know, I've heard a little bit of that stuff. 
but it wasn't until that week that it really started to ramp up. So I even think Gamecock fans, students, people around Columbia also understand the concept of let the guys make the main thing the main thing because he said that started to ramp up during Clemson week last year. And then me piling on as the studio anchor being like, you know, it's been since my day that we haven't been Clemson. I'm sure it didn't help him very much, but Hey, I guess it worked. It worked that Saturday. So I see a couple of questions for you. We will wrap up in just a little bit, let you go on your way before I pop those questions up. I told field, I would play this for you because oh field said to relay this because field was on last week. And as you've been able to know with working with him, I've known field for about, 10 years now i mean one of the nicest people in the world but he's like you gotta let a listen know this so i figured instead of just texting and said feel said this i was just gonna like put you on the spot make you yeah. blush and just play the video not that like he was like singing like a song or anything and you know <laughs> yeah Alyssa, of course a proud sc grad the goat the best love Alyssa. she's absolutely incredible she's great at her job she loves football uh, obsessed with all sports really uh, she's great. Uh, her soon-to-be husband, uh, Trevor, is one of my good buddies as well. They are an awesome, awesome, awesome family. Uh, yeah, so I'm glad you did this this week. And tell her this, because if you had Alyssa on prior to me, I would just say, no, thanks, Mike, because it's a tough act to follow right there. Well, it worked out. It worked out. He's the best. He's the best. Yeah. I did a, uh, I did a Sunday gosh, it was four or five hours, I think during 2020 and 2021, a Sunday noon to five NFL radio show with Field Yates. And it was insane. We had never worked together before. I was doing it from Charlotte. He was doing it from Bristol, Connecticut, where he was living. And it was it was like what I was talking about with, with defense in the SEC. It was baptism by fire for the both of us in not only getting to know each other, but Field is an encyclopedia of NFL knowledge. And most of my focus had been in college football at that point. So we sort of got to marry that together throughout that show. And, and that was a great time. He's the best in the biz, truly. Yeah, it's the experiences he's had with growing up with Scott Pioli and Bill Belichick and being able to understand the other side of it and then I remember doing a college show and he was on and one of my colleagues just, I say colleagues, we weren't college. I mean, we weren't getting paid, but you know what I mean? Asked the question about some player that no one heard of. And I think he was doing that just to like test field and like field knew everything about that player down to probably like what he ate for breakfast. Like, so he's just, it's incredible. Joe Pollock brought this up. I don't know if you've had the chance to listen to it. I've been seeing it because I do. I haven't been able to listen to part of my take as much as I used to. But he was saying, Alyssa, did you hear the interview with Carissa Thompson on a podcast? She admitted to completely making up NFL sideline reports. I don't I don't know if we want to get Alyssa in trouble here. So, no, I, I, I'll talk about this. That's totally fine. Um, I, I, I'll, know, I, I'll read I the rest of the question for the podcast listeners. They're not going to yeah. know what I'm talking about. Uh, saying that when she didn't speak to a coach at halftime, whether she didn't have a chance to because of the timing or a coach just wouldn't speak, she would sometimes make things up. And a lot of those things are just your generic, you know, oh, we got to get off the field on third down, blah, 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 X, Y, and Z, stuff like that. It's an interesting uh, conversation now that's been raging across social media because of this. I will say I watch her a lot on TV. Uh, I think she does a great job hosting uh, the NFL shows that she hosts. I was really surprised to hear that, though. Um, I really was because I think it, in a way, cheapens the position for people looking for an excuse to do that. 
I will say I have never in my life done anything like that, nor do I know. I'm very good friends with a lot of our ESPN and SEC Network sideline reporters. I don't know anyone, at least, who's ever even jokingly admitted or or said anything close to doing anything like that. Um, I had a bunch of people text me about that, obviously, earlier today, as you can imagine. And I'll say this, you know, I've gotten some of the best nuggets or the most important pieces of information from our coaches coming out of halftime. A lot of times it's the off-camera interview, I think, that she's talking about there. Typically, you get the leading coach going off and then coming back out of the locker room, the coach that you haven't spoken to. And usually it's a little walk and talk with them, a specific question, or maybe it's more broad, whatever you think you're going to get the most out of with that particular coach, which this is a whole other topic. But being in the SEC and really getting to have relationships with our coaches helps with those conversations because they know you, they've worked with you before. There is a working relationship there. I think back to a couple of weeks ago, I had the Arkansas Ole Miss game and Arkansas had shuffled around their entire offensive line going into that game. They had started it on Monday, gone through it at practice. Then at halftime, we're coming back out and I walk up to coach Pittman. I said, what did you do at halftime? Who did you talk to? What position group did you focus on? What are the adjustments? And he said, we're going back. We're going back to the original offensive line. We can't, we're not messing with it anymore. And I'm flabbergasted because this isn't something that typically happens in the span of a a football game, right? We're shifting the line, then we're shifting it back. So then I stand there with him and it's like, okay, well, if that doesn't work, will you go back to the way that you started the game? No, no, no. This is how it's going to be. So one, I can't imagine making something up when you could get something like that. And there is, there are opportunities or there are times I should say where maybe the timing isn't right and you can't get a coach. My way of going about that is hitting the truck and saying, didn't get coach. Mm -hmm. I can do a report from something I had in the first half, or I can tell a story that I had prepared coming in, but I didn't get coach. My game this weekend, I'm doing ULM at Ole Miss. That game may be very much out of hand by the time we get to (laughs) halftime. I don't know if there will be a need for me to walk and talk with Terry Bowden coming out of the halftime locker room. If there is, I will. If there's not, I just won't do a report. So I was disappointed to see that. I saw some people saying that maybe it was a joke. I kind of hope it is a joke. But uh, if you don't hear me doing a a report coming out of halftime, it's because I did not get anything worthwhile from a coach (laughs) or I didn't talk to a coach. Before we wrap things up, Alyssa, good answer. Good answer, Joe <laughs> says. Uh, what do you What do you think? I mean, and I love when I tweet this out, and I say, you know, what do you guys think uh, the Gamecocks need to do in order to win? They'll just say, well, they got to score more points. It's like, thank you. Appreciate that one. Outside of that, what do you think South Carolina will need to do this weekend in order to get that win to make next week's already highly anticipated game even that much more anticipated? A lot of times when teams have had success stopping Kentucky this year, it has been limiting what Ray Davis is able to do. Ray Davis is a player that obviously we're all very familiar with in the SEC coming over from Vanderbilt. Liam Cohen and Ray Davis have such a great relationship throughout the week. They really can get very creative with ways to get Ray the football. Again, I don't want to give too much coach speak, but stopping the run is one of the most important things that South Carolina will be able to do this weekend because of the running back that they're facing on Saturday. Not only that, 
making sure that you have eyes on him or a great hat on him at all times because he is talented when it comes to being a pass catching running back as well. So they will look for ways to get him out wide, to utilize him as another wide receiver out there. He's also a great blocker. So that's a player that you're certainly going to have to keep your eyes on. Barryon Brown is another one. Dane Key and Barryon Brown kind of go back and forth as far as opposing defensive coordinators saying that's the guy that we have to have our eyes on from a wide receiver standpoint. But I think at the end of the day, if you can pierce the big blue wall and get after Devin Leary a little bit, that is going to make a long day for Kentucky. Uh, when he's been under pressure, he can struggle with his accuracy. If South Carolina can come up with, like you said, one turnover, that bodes pretty well for them. This defense should, I imagine, have a lot of confidence coming off of Vanderbilt week. A couple of key stops and bottling up Ray Davis, I think, goes a long way for this defense. And then I would say, Spencer and Xavier just doing what they've been doing. Don't stop. Whatever Dowell Loggins has been calling for them over the last few weeks, just keep doing that. I'll, I'll try to sneak one more in there because you've been gracious yeah. with your time. And I know you enjoy talking about Mike Leach. And Travis Hill says, on your comment about getting to know coaches, how special is it to have had the opportunity to share the moment about eloping with Coach Leach? And for some of you that don't recall, I believe it was after a game, correct? Yes, it was. After a game, you were talking about eloping, and he was sharing his thoughts and telling his kids that if they went off and got eloped, he'd pay for it, or he'd give them a bunch of money. So a little backstory, you guys will be able to find it on YouTube, but for those of you who have seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And we'll just have Alyssa share her thoughts on that moment, especially after the unfortunate passing of Coach Leach last year. Yeah, you know, it's it really those will be moments that I will take with me to the end of my career. I mean, there will never never be another coach like that. Um, it's funny because that wedding interview in particular, I remember walking off the field and our game had gone a little bit long. So the game after us had actually started already. So my postgame interview with him wasn't live. Uh, so the two, three questions I asked him about the actual game never saw the light of day. It was just the final question question that I asked him about the wedding, which is funny because we had gone back the year earlier and we had the moment with the Halloween candy. So the folks at Mississippi State had kind of joked with me that day about what you and coach are going to talk about in the postgame interview this time. Uh, but it was such a special moment. It's something that honestly was really cool that he was never afraid to just be himself. He was not somebody who really enjoyed to sit there and talk about football when there were so many other interesting things in the world that you could talk about. Um, and I always really appreciated that he was never afraid to be himself in that, in that aspect and that he brought so many smiles to other people. So um, I just felt very honored that in those few moments that I was able to maybe be a vehicle to bring those smiles to people and to show people that, hey, it is okay to not be so serious all the time. This is supposed to be fun. And I think he really embodied that. Was he your favorite interview? Jay Diz wants to know if, what, what coach has been your favorite. He was pretty darn good. I mean, it's hard to top that. Obviously, Coach Beamer holds a very special place in my heart. And uh, we've been talking about getting that post-game interview one of these days because <laughs> it's been a while since I've gotten to do one of those. Um, but there really is. I think anyone would tell you there is nobody like Coach Leach. So I, I hope other coaches maybe see that sometimes and they're like, yeah, it's, it's OK if we let loose a little bit. But we live in a very intense business, so it's unique to him. And I understand why there's only one Coach Leach. So, Alyssa, you said you'll be on the ULM Old Miss game this weekend, correct? Yes, sir. Heading out uh, to Oxford here in about three hours. And that is on 
ESPN SEC at S- noon. SEC Network at noon. So if you guys want to tune on in, see Alyssa watching some football in the afternoon. Since I know these Gamecock fans, they've been dying to have another night game. You'll have plenty of time to get all lubed up, ready for the game. I was going to say, they'll have the yeah. TV out on the truck bed drinking while I'm working. So y'all have one for me while you're out there getting ready for the game. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'm usually the other way around. I like to get the games done. I'm going to probably get booed now um, because of that. But, hey, you know, you get, the, you get done, you have the rest of the day to yourself. But I understand from a fan standpoint, and that's what it's all about. Alyssa, appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. All right, once again, that's Alyssa Lang of the SEC Network. Again, she'll be on the SEC Network at noon this weekend, as we just mentioned. She'll be on the call for the ULM game, taking on Old Miss. I want to go back to some of the comments that you guys have today. Travis, appreciate that. Go back and look at some of the comments, and then we'll wrap things up, because as we do, this is supposed to be an hour show, but it's about you guys, about your questions, your thoughts. So we'll extend the show just a little bit longer to be able to answer and share some of those thoughts. So let's see. uh, Jay Diz says, Twitty can block a fool. Let the big boy play 10 snaps or so. Yeah, I could Look, if Twitty does play about 10 snaps, I'll just use that number because that's the number you use, Jay Diz. I don't know if he'll play 10. I think I could see him playing at least five, if not a couple more snaps than that maybe that five to seven range. But if he plays anything more than that, I think what that tells me, the first thing that tells me is that they trust him from a blocking standpoint. You know, we've mentioned this on this show and other GC live shows. And even going back to when I would do the podcast with Marcus Lattimore, because Marcus would talk about it. The number one way to get on the field as a running back and to stay on the field is to earn the trust of your coaches through your pass blocking. If you can do good things with your pass pro, that's going to be able to not only get you on the field, but keep you on the field. And I think for a guy like DJ Twitty, um, and for, I think for a guy like a guy like Dunn, and you look at obviously what Mario's been able to do, guys like that, if you're able to do stuff like that, it's going to help you. It's going to help you stay on the field just a little bit longer. So again, I think with what South Carolina needs to do this weekend at running back is you got to be able to find someone that's going to be able to be complimentary to Mario Anderson because Mario's not going to be a guy that you can't ask him. You can't ask him to do it all, right? I mean, certainly he's going to be out there. He's going to be running the football. He's going to be out there blocking a little bit. But at the same time, too, you need to find ways to help him out. Because if you're able, if you're able to get production from those other running backs, and I'm not saying DJ Braswell is just going to go out there and be a blocker. That's not what I'm saying. Certainly not with his speed. You want to be able to use him. We've seen South Carolina going back to the last two weeks because of the injury with on Joiner and how they started to use Juju McDowell a little bit more in the passing game and getting him the ball out in space. Braswell, to me, a little bit bigger, but he's a fast dude. I mean, here's a guy that in high school, he was the 100-meter and 200-meter state champ for the state of Georgia. So he has speed. We saw that last week. We saw that last week against Vanderbilt when he nearly broke one for a touchdown out of the flat. 
think it was a 30-yard reception. He ended up with 28 yards receiving on two catches because I think the swing pass or screen pass, it went down for negative two yards. But he had a 30-yard reception. An extra yard, he's in the end zone. An extra yard or two, he's he's in. But I think we'll see Braswell be asked to do some pass blocking. I don't think they're going to ask him to do it a lot. But you have to find ways to mix things up because if you just throw him on the field, and it's not the exact same, but it's not that much different than back in the day when on Joyner would go out there before the obvious Dukes Mayo Bowl performance where he was 9 of 9 through the year, where for a while, anytime you threw Joyner out there, it was, oh, he's going to run the football. Oh, he's going to run the football. Oh, he's going to run the football. He's not going to throw it. It becomes the same deal where you put a guy out there, and again, I'm just using Braswell, for example. It could be any running back, for that matter, outside of Anderson, just because we haven't seen them get the reps. That's why I'm saying that, so it's not a shot against them. If they're only out there to run the football or only go out there to you know catch a swing pass, that's going to let defenses know, man, we're good. We can send an extra guy. Braswell's out there. He can't he can't block, or at least he hasn't, he hasn't proven it yet. We're going to keep sending guys. We're going to keep sending guys because it's going to force South Carolina to have to have a running back back out there. Or it's going to have to force someone, whether it be a tight end, move someone in the backfield, a fullback if they want to use an extra one, help the protection out, right? Have two running backs in the backfield. If you want to do stuff like that, you can do that to be able to help out with the blocking. But I think... I mean, look, I'm not going to put anything by South Carolina this weekend. I wouldn't be shocked if we see some 21 personnel. Maybe you do put Dunn back there. Maybe you do have Twitty out there at times with Braswell. I think South Carolina, they've had some time to think about how they're going to adjust to not having Joyner, but now also not having Juju. And if they feel like they have to use some 21 personnel, which we really haven't seen this team do much this season, I know with some of the jumbo sets, especially down towards the goal line we have, but I'm talking about just your, okay, second and eight, first and 10. Really haven't seen a lot of 21 personnel. I wouldn't be shocked to see. And for those of you who aren't familiar, 21 personnel, two running back, one tight end set. 12 personnel would be one running back, two tight end set. What else we got here before we wrap things up on this Thursday afternoon? Justin says, just win, baby. Just win. Jamie earlier saying that's a great stat, Mike. Yeah, if you're just joining us, crazy stat that I came across. 9-0. That is South Carolina's record the last two years at home when they have forced at least one takeaway. They're 0-3 when they don't in that time, in that same time span at home. Cocky Joe says linebackers have to have another big game this week. Keep the best players on the field. I've really, really, really enjoyed seeing what Bam. Scott Martin did last weekend. Led the team in tackles. I think he had 13 tackles, seven solo. Had a sack out there. It helps not just... It, it helps everyone out. It helps the entire defense, not just the linebacker room. I mean, Stone Blanton, he's had to probably play a little bit more snaps than he would have if Mo Caba didn't go down earlier in the season. And I still think, I know, look, he's took a lot of crap on social media, and I get it comes with the territory when you play in the SEC, but I do think that Stone has done a lot of good things this year. The problem is I think he's being asked to do a little bit more than where he's at right now because he's still young. Now, he 
had a phenomenal play two weeks ago against Jacksonville State. He doesn't make that play. USC loses that game, most likely. And we're sitting here talking about a three and seven Gamecock team getting ready for Kentucky. And there is zero juice going into that game. Zero. Zero. I'd feel bad for Darud. I would just tell Darud, hey, here's your check, man. Don't even bother showing up. But that's not the case because Stone made a huge play that game. Debo Williams, he's on track to become the first 100, have 100 tackles in a season by a Gamecock for the first time since Brad Johnson. And we know how talented Brad was when he played for the Gamecocks. I mean, it felt like he was having 100-yard, I mean, excuse me, 100 tackle seasons left and right. Debo's been just playing out of his freaking mind. Uh, Jay Diz says defense has to get off the field, can't let Kentucky control the ball the whole game. So the thing about Kentucky is they don't run that many plays, but they can really control the clock. And it's not necessarily something that, you know, they're super concerned about. But what I'm trying to get at is, and Clayton White brought this up yesterday, that the opportunities to force turnovers, they're going to go down because you're not going to see the same number of snaps, right? I mean, it's just like, it's it's like if you're going in, I mean, someone mentioned about the Garnet Trust raffle. If you buy 10 tickets, if you buy 10 tickets and about 90 other people bought tickets, okay, you have 10% chance to win. And we're just using simple numbers here. Now, if you buy 50% of those tickets of the 100, you have a better chance of being able to win. Same deal with being able to force a turnover. More plays, there's a higher opportunity for you to be able to cause one. Now, that's not to say that South Carolina can't cause one, can't get a takeaway this weekend, because Kentucky doesn't run in the typically you know, 80, 90 plays even in the upper 70s, could be low 70s, could be in the 60s. But in comparison to some of the teams South Carolina has faced this year, need to be able to get off the field, no question about it. And they've done a good job about that. And, and as Clayton White mentioned, they view a turnover as being able to get off the field. And a lot of teams do that from a statistical standpoint. I'm not talking about that's how that's actually counted in the record books. But that's just the mindset that they have of being able to get off the field and how much value goes into that. Hunter Kelly says, I don't have a good feeling this weekend, but they need to have that. Don't have nothing to lose mindset. I agree. WJM41 says, Josh Simon is coming on. And we mentioned this before. But I also feel like when you look at a guy like Trey Knox, who didn't play last week and will hopefully play, certainly if the weather is better this week and in comparison to what we saw last week with the slick conditions, coming back from that hamstring injury, and that's the reason why they held him out on top of the fact that they really didn't need him at all because of the way the game went, especially in that second half. But because of the issues early on in the year with blocking, I felt like, Trey Knox, guys like Josh Simon, they were being asked to do things that maybe wasn't the initial plan when they first arrived here. And what I mean by that is you probably just needed them to block a little bit more or even chip and take a, a, a step backwards in what their role would have been as a receiving tight end and have them block a little bit more to help you out. 
So from a statistical standpoint, I get it. Some people will look at it and be like, man, he didn't have the same number of catches in comparison to maybe another former Gamecock tight end or compare to this guy or what he did over at that school. Yes, but I think context is important. And if you've been paying attention, which I understand the majority of you have this season, you would also know that USC has had to adjust. They've been like a chameleon in a lot of ways from week to week, especially because outside of these past two weeks of being able to finally start the same offensive line consecutive games, they've had to mix up their offensive line from game to game to game to game. And when you have to go through those changes, in a, in a way, you have to become a chameleon. You have to continue to change some of the things that you want to do. And that's what USC has had to do. They've adapted to it. That's why Dal Loggins, I give this man a lot of credit. Sure, he has a phenomenal quarterback. Sure, he has a phenomenal wide receiver. With Spencer Rattler and Xavier Leggett out there. But as we've seen before, if you don't have the protection up front, and it's not just the offensive line, it goes back to the to the running back room as well. It goes to the tight ends and what their responsibilities are. Are they doing their job? As well as Rattler being able to identify where the guys are coming from pre-snap and also being able to get rid of the ball and not holding on to it. So it's a group effort, but because of some of those issues early on in the season, USC had to make changes. And I think one of the reasons why you have started to see them get a little bit more involved now in the passing game, at least Josh this past weekend, is because they were able to finally, finally have that same starting offensive line start for two straight games. And knock on wood, it'll be the same starting five this weekend. And you're able to continue to build off of that. So you start to have that consistency, that continuity, that rapport, which unfortunately this offensive line this season as a unit, they've been struggling to do just because of the number of injuries they've faced. Uh, Justin says, Josh Simon is a grown man. Besides Mario, I feel as if he is the only player who can break a tackle. There's a couple guys I would throw in that group. I'd throw a couple guys out there. I mean, I think Xavier will get certainly. Even though Nicholas Harbour's big, and I think he can, I think he'll become better than where he is right now. I think he's still learning how – I think he's feeling more comfortable out there, but I don't think of Nicholas Harbour as someone that breaks tackles despite his size. I think he will get continue to get better with that, though, over time. What else we got here? Jay Diz, and this is some stuff that we talked about nearly an hour ago, so I appreciate it. For the patience, if you are still with us, Jay Diz says, Doty and Sellers, plus the other guys, should be plenty. I'd rather get a couple defensive tackles, but those are tough to find. So we're talking about the quarterback room. And as I mentioned, the quarterback room could really, really change dramatically this offseason. Colton Gothier, he will be graduating soon. He certainly has the ability to stay and the option to stay. I'm sure the, the coaching staff would love to keep him here just to continue to add that depth in that quarterback room. But I wouldn't be shocked if he enters the portal simply because he's a guy that just because of how things have played out here, he hasn't, you know, he, he's just Rattler comes in. I think he's better off testing the portal if that's what he wants to do, if he wants, the, if he wants to be a starter. Tanner Bailey, 
It'd be great to have him here. But again, you see a younger player coming up behind you sometimes, especially in the era that we live in now. And I don't want to speak for Tanner. I'm just talking about from a general standpoint. I wouldn't be shocked to see him enter the portal either. And if these things happen, and again, we'll we'll talk more about these things in the offseason when we don't have to do all these hypotheticals. Okay, is this guy come back? Is this guy entering the portal? But there is a concern about the quarterback room. And when I'm talking about concern and Joe asked or brought this up, the seller's not ready, let's give him a try and build around him. That's in, I'm not saying Joe's saying this, but the concern I have is you have sellers, you'll have Reno who'll be arriving here in January, but you have two guys that haven't proven that they can play at this level. I think sellers can play and I think he's going to be very good. But what I'm concerned about is you're losing a guy like Spencer Rattler and outside of a guy that has played in some garbage time. And then on top of the fact that you're bringing in a freshman quarterback, you could be losing a lot of pieces in that quarterback room where you just don't have experience. Again, Luke Doty, yes, he has experience, and I'm sure he would remain He would remain an emergency quarterback in some regard, even if he were to go play wide receiver next season. I still think that he'll give quarterback a shot, though. If he wants to have an opportunity to compete for a starting job, I think he'll give it a shot first. But if he is in that wide receiver room, okay, you have Doty still with some experience, but you need more in that room. You need more experience. Because unfortunately, and this fan base knows better than anyone, you're only one play away from going down. And at that position, I don't care who's at quarterback. I don't care who's at quarterback. You need to have some depth in that room. If Sellers is the week one starter, that's great. Phenomenal. But you need to have some depth in that room. And not just depth, but you'll be looking for experienced, experienced talent in that room. Experienced talent. And I think that's tricky sometimes. It's tricky because, again, and I'm just being realistic here, this isn't Alabama, this isn't Georgia. Players aren't saying, quarterbacks aren't saying, I want to go to South Carolina to be a backup when they enter the portal. No, if they're coming here, they want to be the starter. And that's the mentality that any player should have. But some of these players will go into situations like Georgia, like Alabama, because they know, hey, this is a this is a great program. I'll have an opportunity to you know, sit behind this guy, and if my number's called upon, great. You know, I'm playing for a really talented program. And that's not to say South Carolina can't get to that level, but certainly they have a ways to go before we talk about that with them. That's where I'm coming with when I'm, when I'm talking about, you know, building depth and having guys behind them because, again, any all it takes is one injury. All it takes is one injury. What else we got here? as we continue to truck along before we wrap things up. Let's see. WJM41 says, everyone check out the Garnet Trust 50-50 raffle. I don't have all the details in front of me. Or else I would add to that. But I do know they'll be doing a 50-50 at the game this week and I believe next week against Clemson. For those that are going to ask, well, why wasn't this done earlier in the year? 
I don't work for Garnet Trust. I've helped them out before in the past, so I don't have the exact answers to all that. I know that there's some things from a hurdle standpoint that they had to overcome to be able to get to this point, but it's good now that they will be doing something like this at the stadium, especially if they're able to win this weekend. Clemson game, a lot of people will be at that game if they win, especially. Again, people will be there, but if they win this weekend, more people will come on out. BRC Gamecock says, can we get your thoughts on Juice Wells? Does he return this year or next year? So I've said this before, but I feel like as each week goes on, it's it's important to visit it. So it's, it's a fair question. I think with Juice, I still think that he'll be back next season, just based on the conversations I've had going back now for, shoot, a month and a half, month now, whenever he went down against Georgia. And the reason I say that is, is because NIL opportunities here, he knows they exist. He knows they exist. But I also think he's seeing what having a really good year can do for you. Now, he had a really good year last year. He had some really good years at James Madison. But when I'm talking about having a good year, you've seen what Xavier Leggett's been able to do and raise his draft stock. Unfortunately for Juice, the challenges for him are going to be the fact that he's come back from an injury. And there's going to be teams that look at him and saying, hey, is he still the same guy? I still think he's the same dude. But naturally that happens when you get hurt and you miss time, especially the amount of time that he's missed this year. I think he has good tape. I think he has good numbers. I think he's proven himself that he can play at the next level. Now it comes down to how high does he want his draft stock to be? How important is that to him? How important is it to him to have an opportunity where you're drafted and you're high up on a depth chart as far as the way they view you right away? That's not to say that he can't go in, even if he's drafted a little bit later, if he's a day three guy or if he's a free agent pickup. I still think he would be drafted at least on day three if he were to go the draft this year, despite the injuries. But these are the things that, you worry about when you're talking about stock. So we look, we had field Yates on last week. He talked about some of the things with juice as far as he doesn't want to, you know, say he should do this. He should do that. But the reality is, yes. I mean, teams will look at him, and it's not like it's a big secret. Teams will look at him a little different. <coughs> oh, choking over here. teams will look at him a little different um, coming off that injury. (coughs) Try not to cough into the mic. Sorry about that, folks. Too much talking over here. I'll wrap things up before I choke to death on here. So I apologize, not going to answer the rest of these questions. I will say, though, I think we'll see Juice come back next week if South Carolina does win uh, this week. Now, if they don't, he could still come back next week. But I think it's not just from a physical standpoint. It's the mental hurdles, too, when you come back from an injury. All right, folks, what's this? 
I'll bring this up real quick before we wrap things up. JWM Force, supposedly the raffle can only be done four times in a year period. I believe the drawing is at the Clemson game. Here we go. Appreciate that. All right, if you missed any of our program today, which included an interview with Alyssa Lang of the SEC Network, head on over to the Gamecock Central YouTube page where you can watch this show in its entirety, or if you're a podcast listener, Head on over to the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. Appreciate everyone that tuned in today. Reminder, Shane Beamer will be over at Backstreet's Grill. Six o'clock, you can listen live on 107.5 The Game if you can't get out there. Perhaps we'll have an update on on Joyner. I'm not holding my breath. I don't think he'll be in the lineup this weekend. And hopefully no one else has got banged up. And maybe we'll get some other updates from Shane as well this evening. Have a good Thursday. Enjoy the game this Saturday. And we will catch you on the GC Live postgame show immediately after South Carolina takes on Kentucky. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.